Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to come before it. And we thank you that you have not only given it to us, but you also give us your spirit to teach us and to show us what uh, you desire us to learn about you. Father, bless our time today. Bless our meditations and our thoughts. May you um, grow us and mold us and shape us. And thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've... We're wrapping up the Abrahamic Covenant. We're done. We're not going to talk about it ever, ever, ever again until later. Um, But until we actually get to that point, um, we're going to start to look at the Mosaic Covenant, which might take somewhere between three years and 17 years to really unpack fully. Um, So we might be here a while because it's kind of hard to, it's hard to overstate how important the Mosaic Covenant is um, to the Old Testament, to Israel, to the people of God, to all the Testament of Scripture. Um, The Mosaic is a huge covenant. Like most of the Old Testament was written in the context of the Mosaic Covenant. Um, I think the only one that doesn't directly apply is Genesis, but it's still a prologue, in a sense, to what will come in Sinai. Um, Which means this is a huge topic. And it covers a lot of ground. It touches on a lot of subjects. It impacts a lot of our theology. And um, this is also probably the most debated covenant. Um, There's not a ton of controversy about the covenant with Abraham. There's not a ton of controversy um, regarding the Noahic covenant, although there's some. There's some with the uh, Adamic covenant. But when you get to Moses, when you get to the Sinai covenant, now there's a lot of debate, Um, especially in our presbytery. um, We've had a a lot of debate and discussion and not all pleasant. Um, So if you want all the drama about the Presbytery and the Mosaic Covenant, go talk to Brett. uh, And he would, I'm sure he would love to tell you about everything that happened. Um, But people disagree. There's there's lines that have been drawn in the sand about the Mosaic Covenant and what it means. um, And We want to know what it is, right? We want to know what God is teaching. We want to know what Scripture says. We want to know what the truth is. Um, And the way that I want to come at it, at the Mosaic Covenant, is we've been asking a question, right? Every time that we come to a new covenant, we ask a question. How does this teach us more about Genesis 3.15? So we did that with the Abrahamic Right When Genesis 3.15 was given, right, the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent, um, the seed of the serpent. We then ask the question, well, where will this seed come from? From whom will this seed of the woman come? What's the lineage, right? How, who are we going to watch? Whose family are, gonna, are we going to watch to find out where the promised seed comes from? And the Abrahamic covenant answers that question. It's going to be an offspring of Abraham. So now we know... Right, that whoever this promised seed is, and wherever he's going to, whatever he's going to do, he is going to come from the line of Abraham. And so the next question that we answered with the Noahic covenant, right, was, okay, so how do we know God is going to fulfill this promise? Right? How do we know the serpent's not going to win? How do we know that evil won't wipe out the lineage that the promised seed will come from? How do we know God will preserve it? And the Noahic Covenant answers that question. Right? God promises to sustain the world, to continue normal seasons and days and years, to not destroy the world because of wickedness, so that the lineage of the promised seed will be able to survive and thrive and live. So it's a promise, in a sense, that God is going to bring about this seed. 
So we know the seed is going to come for sure because God has promised it and because God is going to preserve the world. We know the lineage that the seed is going to come from, but we don't really know what kind of person he'll be and we're not entirely sure what he's going to do. We know that's going to involve crushing the head of the serpent. We know it's going to involve his heel being bruised, but we're not sure what that really means, right? What does that mean in real life? And so the Mosaic Covenant starts to answer those questions. The Mosaic Covenant starts to show us and teach us what the promised seed is going to do and what kind of person he's going to be. So that's kind of the, the big picture that I want to start to unpack as we talk about the Mosaic Covenant. That's, that's the angle I'd like to take uh, because we're trying to look at all of Scripture and all the covenants as, as God's story. right? Not as distinct, separate entities, but as a one unfolding of God's covenant of grace throughout history. Um, but because this is a big covenant... And because there's a lot of discussion and debate surrounding it, I thought it'd just be good to, today to just kind of start slow. Right? Let's ask a few big picture questions, a few basic questions, um, and just start to you know, dip our toes in the water and see if it's hot or cold. It's a weird analogy. but So here's the, here's the question that I have for you guys. When did the Mosaic Covenant begin? At Sinai. How do we know that? Anybody? How do we know that's where it started? Where the law was given and the, um, the requirements that God placed on his people to be his people. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Because it's at Sinai that God sets the terms. Um, God has hinted at it a little bit before in Exodus. He is he's drawing them towards Sinai. But nothing. The, the covenant really begins when God says, here are the terms of the covenant. Right? It's like with Abraham. It's like with Noah. It's like with Adam. God comes and gives revelation and says, here are the terms. With Adam, right? the terms were, I want you to keep this garden. I want you to protect it. I want you to have dominion. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And whatever you do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those were the terms. With the implication that when you eat of the tree, you'll die. And if you don't eat of the tree, you'll live. And so we we all agreed, right? That's a works-based covenant. That is, Adam had works that he had to complete in order to receive the reward. And if he failed the works, he would receive the curse. And then we come to Genesis 3.15, where God again sets the terms of a covenant, but instead of it being Adam doing the work, now it's the seed. Someone else is going to do the work in Adam's place. And then you get to uh, Abraham, where again, God sets the terms of the covenant. I will give you... A great people, offspring, you'll be made a great name, you'll have a land. All of these blessings that Abraham does not have to earn. So that's a covenant of grace. So the next question, who is this covenant at Sinai between? Who are the parties of this covenant? Who are the, who are the players in this picture? God and Israel. God and Israel. Anyone else? 
What do you mean by that? Okay. Let me ask a different question. Who? So, Joe said the covenant is between God and, and Israel. Let's define Israel. What is? What does that mean? Who is Israel? Jonathan. Okay. Can you be more specific? Descendants of Jacob. And Abraham. So does this covenant, in a sense, right, include... Right, let me back up. Think back to when we talked about the covenant of redemption. So the covenant of redemption is God's overarching covenant that he established before time began, right? Where he said, I'm going to save the elect, and I'm going to save them through my son who is going to come, and he's going to die for their sins. The Holy Spirit's going to confirm it to the elect. He's going to uh, regenerate them and give them faith, and they'll be saved. That's between God and the elect. Is that what the Mosaic Covenant is about? Is it between God and the elect? Joy? Why not? Yeah, everyone who came to Sinai. Was that, were they all Jews? No, if remember back when Israel actually came out of Egypt, a mixed multitude came with them. So it wasn't simply Jewish people, but there were also people of different ethnicities. Right? We're not told especially whom, but there's a great crowd of, of other people who are coming with them. And I think the assumption is that they were also at Sinai. They were also receiving the covenant. They were being made God's people. Um, but again... Not without circumcision. Because if you remember the Abrahamic covenant, that to keep the covenant is to circumcise yourself and your, your offspring. Um, so if you wanted to be a part of the people of God, you want to be a part of Israel, you had to be circumcised. So I think the ethnicity of the people of God might be varied, but they're all Israel. But that doesn't mean that they're all elect. So what were, what were the terms of this covenant? And you can turn to Exodus 19, um, where we start to unpack what God said. And in a sense, you're all getting spoilers for future sermons in Exodus. So I'm going to I'm going to read um, Exodus 19, beginning uh, in verse four. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what are the terms of this covenant? In what way? (laughs) 
And what will happen if they are obedient? What will happen if they are obedient? What will happen if they're not? I know it seems simple, and I'm not trying to be to talk down. I'm, I'm simply saying, okay, yeah, that's, that's what it seems like. If you obey, here's the blessing. If you disobey, here's the curse. What kind of covenant do we call that? It's a covenant of works. And yet, in verse 4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That part was not works. Right? That part, Israel didn't earn God bringing them to himself. Israel didn't earn God bringing them out of Egypt. Um, when we read the, the Ten Commandments, if you look forward a chapter to chapter 20, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God begins the law by first saying... What he has done by grace. So here's what I've done for you. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here are the things you must do. And then turn to to Deuteronomy 4. Just a couple of books ahead to Deuteronomy 4. It's right after Numbers. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start reading in verse 25. So Deuteronomy 4, verse 25. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. There you shall serve gods of wood and stone and the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So here's, here's the ultimate system that the mosaic revolves around. If you obey, you get to stay in the land. If you disobey, you will be cast out of the land. Like at, at a fundamental level, that is what the Mosaic Covenant is talking about. If you obey, right, if you keep the law of God, and we get multiple books that tell us what that means, right, we have Leviticus, we have Deuteronomy, uh, we have the Ten Commandments, all of these are the law of God that he gives and says, if you keep all of this, not only will you get to stay in the land, but Deuteronomy 28, um, Leviticus 18, these both, both of these chapters outline, here's what will happen if you obey. You'll have lots of kids, 
your crops will be really good. Uh, your off, your uh, livestock are going to be heavy with children. You're going to be blessed. All the nations will call you blessed. Um, lots of really good things will happen to you. Here's what will happen if you disobey. You're not going to have a lot of kids. Um, your crops are going to fail. Your corn is going to go away. Your livestock will be barren, and all the nations will curse you. And you'll be cast out of the land. Israel is called in this covenant to obey. They're given a works principle that says, if you obey, here's what happens. If you disobey, here's what happens. So in a sense, right, does, does this covenant remind you of anything? Do these terms remind you of anything, of any other covenant in Scripture? Jonathan? The covenant between God and Adam. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the covenant with God and Adam. If you obey, you get to stay in the garden, and you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be thrown out of the garden, and you'll be cursed. Right? In a sense, the Mosaic Covenant is replaying the covenant with Adam. It's saying, okay, let's set up similar terms. Let's set up a similar covenant and see what happens. However, God is doing something different with the Mosaic than he's doing with the Adamic covenant. Because in Deuteronomy 4, we just read that you're going to have idols, you're going to worship other gods, you're going to do what's wicked, and I'm going to cast you out of the land. And then God says, but from there you will seek the Lord, and you will find him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So even as God is is giving a works covenant to Israel, he's at the same time telling them that this is not the ultimate covenant. Because this covenant is not about eternal life. And that's... And important, Israel is not going to earn or lose eternal life based upon their obedience. Everything centers around the land. And everything centers around the, their, their life in the land, whether that life is going to be good and blessed or bad and cursed. That's what it centers around, not eternal life. Right? Israel can't earn eternal life by obeying the Mosaic Covenant. And that's what Paul will say later. He'll say later in Galatians, if the law could, could give eternal life, then why, why Jesus? But it can't. The Mosaic Covenant, Paul will say, was, was a guardian for a time until Christ came. So not only is eternal life not offered, but in fact this covenant is serving grace. So the way that some of my professors put it, is that the Mosaic Covenant is, shows us law, but it's also law-serving grace. Because Israel is going to fail, as Deuteronomy 4 just said. They're going to fail, they're going to experience the curse, and they're going to come back to God, and He's going to remember His covenant with their fathers, and He's not going to leave them, and He's not going to destroy them. Now God is... is is doing something on a grander scale even as he is narrowing the conditions of obedience to just the land. Um, 
So there's a stark similarity between the Mosaic Covenant and the covenant with Adam. I'll pause for a second, see if there are any questions or comments or criticisms. The Mosaic Covenant shows us law-serving grace. Mm-hmm. Can we say, too, this is probably the first time in history at this point where God's actually um, showing <coughs> holiness. And I mean holiness in the definition of holiness, where they have to be set apart. Mm-hmm. Holiness means a part of us. Mm-hmm. And he's now demonstrating why that's important and what that looks like. So in their, in their training program, I guess you'd say, we think the historical of Jesus Christ, these are the lessons they're learning. Um, and I think they hadn't had that before. This is, this is new. Mm-hmm. They're learning that they're, they have a God. I would I would never say that God does anything arbitrarily. So so John's point is, can we say that this covenant was where the Lord really started to show His people what holiness means? Um, and in a sense, right, He has all these rules and all these laws and all these regulations to teach His people what holiness looks like. Um, I think you're right. We were. We know that God is a holy God because back in Exodus 3, God said to Moses, take your sandals off because the ground that you're about to tread on is holy ground. Um, You have the the covenant with Noah. You have the ark, right? The clean and unclean distinction of animals as you enter the ark and the removal of that distinction as you leave the ark, meaning the ark is holy. Something is different in the ark than outside of it. And what Israel is going to see is that something is going to have to be different about them in the land than all the other nations. And that's what God says in Exodus 19. Right? He says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Um, and you should be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So yeah, I think you're right, John. And that's one aspect of the covenant that we'll, we'll probably spend at least one lesson talking about is holiness and all the regulations and all that. Charlie? You said a minute ago that Israel and the Mosaic Covenant did not earn salvation. Would that also mean in, do you think it's fair to say that they did not earn righteousness as well? Um, I think that would depend on how you were defining righteousness at that moment. Because so of the Adamic covenant, you said in the beginning Adam was earning righteousness, and that's what inherently made it distinctly a covenant of works as opposed to a covenant of grace. Would you maintain that definition and say both Israel couldn't is not meriting or earning righteousness in this covenant? In the same way that 
not in the same way Adam was because the terms are different. So they can't, they're not earning righteousness? Not in the same way that Adam was, but... If you think about, so, so maybe let's not talk about righteousness, we could talk about merit. I'm just wondering, based on the definitions of, because you're, you're connecting this with the Adamic Covenant, mm-hmm. distinctly what makes the Adamic Covenant unique is that it was a meriting of righteousness. Right. Is that how, apart from, like, I think it's, that's a huge thing to put aside, to say, like, well, they're, they're supposed to be obeying. And I think... Vaguely, if that term stays vague, there's obedience in all the covenants. Because do this and live also sounds like repent or perish, or where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's obedience in the new covenant as well. Those who aren't obedient are excommunicated, so they're also cast out. But it seems like the, the main thing that makes the Adamic covenant distinct is earning righteousness. So I was wondering if you could clarify if that's not what... Israel is doing, they're not earning righteousness in the same way apart from just general obedience, which sort of is some in some way present in all the covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett, Brett has his hand up, so I'll... Yeah, maybe we can clarify what it means to earn righteousness. Righteousness the Adamic covenant are earning a reward through righteousness the term, so what do you mean by righteousness? I'm just going off of what he said in his first Sunday school. You you said specifically Adam was earning righteousness. So I, I can't explain that for Pastor Isaac. He'd have to clarify himself. Well, it sounds like you, you have a conception in your mind of what righteousness is. So, that's fine. So here's here's what I'm thinking of specifically is that righteousness is has to do with your standing before God. Could you stand before God on your own two feet and say, "I deserve eternal life"? If you are righteous, God would say, "Yes, you deserve it." If you are not righteous, even just a little bit, God would say, "No, you don't deserve it." Adam, if he had kept the covenant, would have earned righteousness. He could have stood on his own two feet before God and said, I earned eternal life. And God would have said, yes, you did. Israel cannot, through the Mosaic covenant, stand before God and say, we have earned eternal life. But if they obeyed the Mosaic covenant perfectly, they could have stood before God and said, we have earned the land. We have earned life in the land. So in a sense, there's still merit. But it's not eternal life. And that's so I think righteousness has to do with eternal life. And what God is showing Israel is just merit on a, on a smaller scale. Right? It's not eternal life that's in picture. It's just life in the land. Okay. So, they, so according to those definitions, they, they are not very righteous. So hard enough. I, yeah. Right now, yeah. that's what I would say. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but it, I, I want to think about that more, too, and, and just marinate on that for a week. Um, so maybe I'll come back next week and we can talk about it more. Are there any other questions or, or thoughts? Jonathan? So God says that you need to circumcise your firstborn and offer the flesh to him as a sacrifice and the testament of faith. But, like, what if you don't have the... Like, as part of the Mosaic, the Iranian covenants. But, like, what if you don't have the means to circumcise it? Like, what if you don't have what you need to do? Like, what if you want to, but you can't do it for something? 
Um, I'm not sure I could think of a situation where you couldn't. The point, the point of circumcision is, for especially because it's, it relates to the Abrahamic covenant, is this is how you, it's an act of faith, right? It is a response to God and to God's grace. Uh, but, like, you need to circumcise or you will pay I think if they're understand if you wanted to because what's really important is the heart right it's like you want to be baptized but there's no water for 100 miles does that mean that you're not saved no No, because it's really what it's really faith that is the key part Um, so if there were a situation like that I think faith is still the most important thing any other Concerns before or thoughts before we move on? Questions? Okay, so let me ask this question. In the Abrahamic covenant, God promised unconditionally to Abraham a land. In the Mosaic covenant, God conditionally offers the land to Israel based upon their obedience. So has God changed his mind? Right. Has God made an unconditional promise to Abraham? Has he now made it conditional? Well, he wouldn't do that. He's not weird. <laughs> but, like, In some ways, God is weird. I feel like he He's not, not like us. Israel has really sinned too much and turned from him. So maybe he felt he needed to test them. I just don't understand why he well, I'm, I'm trying to get at a, at a tension point, right? The tension is, okay, God promised the land to Abraham unconditionally. Now he's saying it is conditional. At least that's what it looks like. Charlie? It's, it's I think you're right. It's, it's because the land for the Abrahamic promise was always pointing to something greater than simply the land of Canaan. And that's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 11 is all about how Abraham and Israel were both looking for a heavenly kingdom, for a heavenly land. That they never saw the land of Canaan. Or maybe they did, but what they were supposed to see, right, was that the land of Canaan is just a... It's, it's temporary. It's not supposed to be the final promise or the final um, destination for them. They were looking for something greater. And so when they lose the land, right, when they're cast out of it, 
what God says, here's what he says, God said, uh, in Leviticus 26, verse 45, um, that I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Even after Israel's cast out, and this is, goes back to Deuteronomy 4, or was it 28 as well, where God says, you're going to fail, you're going to be cast out, and then I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember the promise I made to Abraham, and I'm going to keep that promise. That even though Israel is going to lose the land through their disobedience, God is still going to remember his promise and, and bring them back to a greater land. That there's something greater that they were looking forward to. That they were sure that even if in the temporary short term they lost it, God would give it to them. It's like Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is the promised child. And God says, go sacrifice him. Okay, first Charlie, because I saw your hand. And then Steve. Okay, so I think of Jonathan and then Steve. So... How we're take, talking about crossing the Jordan and taking over the territory that Israel will own or conquered. Why did God curse the city of Jericho? I don't think that's in view right now. We could talk about that either after the lesson or, or later time, if that's okay. okay. Steve? So you had said that the, the Sinai covenant is made not with the elect, but with those who are at Sinai. You know, and then it, 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 it goes to their physical descendants, all those who are circumcised. They got a promise on this land. If they disobeyed, it would cut off from this land. But then we see these promises saying, but in the end, I will remember my people and restore them. Is that, again, talking about those who are the physical descendants, those at Sinai? No, because remember, Jeremiah is key here. Because in Jeremiah, God says, circumcise your hearts. The point was always that the sons of Abraham, the true sons of Abraham, the inheritors of the promise that God made to Abraham, are those who have faith, are those who have a circumcised heart. It was never about the external. And so when Jesus comes to the Pharisees, the Pharisees say, well, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, you're circumcised, but you're not actual sons of Abraham because what makes you a son of Abraham? Faith. For Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, So, the covenant at Sinai, yes, it's made to Israel and their physical descendants through circumcision. If you were a sojourner and you wanted to be a part of the covenant, you had to be circumcised, right? You had to become a Jew um, in order to take part in the Mosaic covenant. You could live in the land as a sojourner, but until you actually wanted to participate, specifically, right, take the Passover... Because if you remember Exodus 11 or 12, um, God said, no sojourner may partake of the Passover unless they're circumcised. That The point is always pushing us to say, okay, it's not enough to be born in the right family. Because in Israel, yeah, if you disobey, you'll be cut off from the land. If you obey, you'll be blessed. But this is about the land. When it's about eternal life, it is always, you must believe. Faith is what saves you, not obedience. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Um, any other? Charlie? So, um, just get a pushing on one point. So you're emphasizing the land. But in that verse that we read, 
begin with, God says, I brought you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So this place is to himself. Heaven is wherever the presence of God is. When Jacob finds the place and he builds a little altar of stone and says, surely this is God's house. There was no building there. It was just the presence of God. Right? And it says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So my question is, the land here seems secondary to what the true blessing is. The emphasis is on being God's chosen people, being his treasured possession. He's effectively saying, I will gather you into my, unto myself before me. And if you keep my word, I will keep you there. So the land seems accidental, because when they disobey, what does he do? He gives them back to the nations. He's saying, if you keep my word, I will keep you gathered. If not, I will send you back to that which I have called you from. So the emphasis looks like it's not necessarily the land, which is secondary. Of course, they need to be in a place, but it's actually being God's treasured possession. He doesn't say, if you keep my word, you keep the land. He says, if you keep my word, my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. And so therefore, that relationship will be restored. Does that seem... It's, it's a fair point. Fair. It's a fair point, but that's, that's also about the land because the land is where God is because we're talking about a covenant that is mirroring the Adamic covenant. The land of Canaan is the Garden of Eden. And Israel can either stay in the garden or be cast out of the garden depending on their obedience. So, in a sense, yes, it is about being God's chosen people and being in his presence. Because the land is where God is. That's where he makes his home, where he plants his temple. Um, and so if you want to stay in the land, if you want to be in God's presence, if you want to enjoy all the blessings of being around him, you have to obey. If you want to be cursed and you want to have a terrible life and you want to be cast out of the land of blessing and promise, then disobey and you'll find yourself cast out very quickly. Um, so in a sense, you're right. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time. And that's why it's going to take us about six or seven decades to actually unpack all of this because there's a lot happening, a lot layered. But the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing the land is because exile is the curse for disobedience. And staying in the land is the reward for obedience. That has to do with God's presence. But Israel is a nation. Israel is a people. Israel is a kingdom. Staying in this kingdom which is a physical territory and includes all the blessings of being in God's presence, is dependent upon their obedience. Thank you. Yeah. Michelle. And you said the law serves grace. grace. And so it's a, it's a picture. That, that, that layer of everything that's going on is it's not the whole picture, but it's a picture, and, and it's serving the bigger picture. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So you understand why it's going to take us a while. Because um, you're right. This is, there's a lot of stuff happening. Because we say all these things about the law and about obedience and disobedience and blessings and curses. But what's really happening is God is saying, if you believe in me, you'll be saved. At, at the end of the day, through all of this, what God is saying is, I am king. I am the Lord. If you believe in me, you'll be saved. 
And we'll start to see that the Mosaic Covenant is teaching Israel what is required for that salvation. Someone is going to have to keep all these laws. And someone is actually going to have to do more than that. Right? They're going to have to go further than the Mosaic Covenant and keep God's law perfectly from the moment of conception to the moment of their death. Someone's going to have to. And what Israel is going to see is, well, it can't be me because I messed up the instant that I began. So we're learning, okay, what's the pro- what kind of person is the promised seed going to be? Perfect. What's he going to do? Keep the law perfectly. And we're going to start to see that, unpack that, as we take time and time and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of time to talk about it. Um, so that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I appreciate all of your questions. Um, if I'm ever going too fast or I'm being confusing, please stop me, and I can try to, to slow down and, and explain better. Um, but appreciate all of you. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get ready for worship. Lord God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that we are not saved by our own works. For if we were, we would be the most pitiable of all people. But Lord, thank you that you have made us righteous through the works of someone greater than us, through the, your son, Jesus, that we get to stand before you and say that Jesus has earned heaven on our behalf. Lord, we praise you for these things. We ask that you continue to teach us, that you prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning, and in all things that you might be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.